You're listening to Movies for Decades. Hello and welcome to Movies for Decades. I think y'all have been with us if you're not, I don't think you're listening to this episode just out of the blue. So this is, uh, we last watched 1951's The Day the Earth Stood Still, and now we have moved to 1961, another decade, and for the first time, we're doing another country. A foreign film. A foreign film. We've only been, we've only done American cinema up to this point, and now we are moving on to Japan. Yeah, thank you, Carson, for uh, being more cultured than us. Let's introduce ourselves. And uh, yes, I'm Colin Albee. I'm John Albee. I'm Helen Albee-Cottingham. I'm Carson uh, Goodman, or K-Dog. Okay. Weird. <laughs> so why this movie, Carson? Why are we watching this movie? You suggested this. Yeah, um, so I'm a weeb. No. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. Um, Went no. straight for that derogatory term. Yeah, I'll, I'll own that one. Um, yeah, no, so uh, so this this movie is, is sort of, kind of sits at the confluence of, I think, several kind of uh interests niches that um that i uh, have entertained in the last year uh within uh film and other um media so this this pretty safely uh falls into um the uh the category of noir and noir uh slash uh sort of crime action crime action drama so so this is an interesting um take on on a, a very prominent mode of filmmaking in in Hollywood but uh, prior to to the war and um, then it's also uh, kind of uh, a, a a commentary on on transatlantic uh, relations and so um, so that's it's a cool movie yeah. <laughs> we uh, I guess some uh, inside so to base. summarize oh sorry Yes. What? You discovered it because you're into Japanese stuff and you're into crime stuff, and, and this you're into is film the stuff. center of that. Film stuff, this is the yeah. center of that Venn diagram, so it's super great, and you loved it, and I'm really glad you made us watch it because I really liked it too. Yeah, I um the other I guess inside baseball answer to that is uh, you were just talking about how you saw this cool movie on Criterion, and I was like, and we kind of hadn't picked a 1961 film, and I was like, what is this movie? It sounds cool, and I'm like, it was made in 1961 interesting that was that was for two have we said the name of the movie yet the movie we're watching is called pigs and battleships it is a uh, japanese film by shohei iwamura was the director uh i guess i don't know if he's necessarily the writer is apparently based on japanese novels i am also really pleased we watched this movie for several reasons Uh, one of them is that it dovetails very nicely into the what i was consuming last episode which is this biography of Ishiro Honda, the mm-hmm. director of Godzilla movies and other films. And uh, that is not only a nice biography of a very nice man, it's also a good overview of the history of Japanese filmmaking. Since he was born in 1911 and basically came up in the Japanese film industry during in real time of when it was happening. And it's also a nice overview of mid-century Japanese history. So like, I feel like thanks to this dang book I was reading anyway, I'm gonna be much more articulate on this movie so <laughs> than I would, I would otherwise be. 
I have a historical context question uh-huh. right off the bat, unless sure. John has something Please. to say. Please, no, that, I was gonna, that's what I was going to so, ask first. Yeah. I saw a lot of articles that said this was a prime example of a Japanese New Wave film, mm-hmm. and French New Wave was going on at the same time, and apparently Brazilian New Wave was going on. There was New Wave happening everywhere in the early 60s and 50s. What is New Wave, and mm-hmm. why was it happening everywhere right now? This, this the stuff? anti-hero kind of pushing against societal norms I'm thing in film. I'm not sure that film. that's what I would take as new wave, but Carson, okay, you should okay. take this one. I think yeah, this yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so right. So, and I think it's it's funny to note too that 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 new wave. You know, while I think a lot of a lot of new wave, especially European new wave, and and um, and certainly some you know Japanese new wave as, as we're seeing um, is is con- kind of concentrated in this um, in this like late fifties um, early sixties pocket of time. It's it's a uh, it, you know a lot of new waves also emerge in the the eighties and the nineties. If you're talking about like like Taiwanese new wave, Hong Kong new wave, mm-hmm. um, but uh, but anyway, yeah. So so new wave is is. Um, uh, the the way that I've come to see it is that it is a shift in um, sort of the 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 it is it is as much a shift in the mode of production of film and what film represents as an art form as it is in any sort of discrete um, stylistic uh, or or you know thematic approaches to film. So so film right. It, so if we can go all the way back to the beginning, right. Sure. Uh, <laughs> That's kind what of what we done about. did. That's what we do, yeah. Right. So, 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 film in the eighteen nineties <laughs> um, emerges uh, as uh, out of out of sort of other uh, kinetic arts and and emerges out of um, the the desire to um, to to create spectacle and to create illusion and um, and it kind of exists in that um, in in that mode for you know its first. Uh, its first couple decades, really, the 19 aughts, um, are, are a time of uh, experimentation, just figuring out what you can do with film. I think uh, George Millier. Yeah, I think a lot of people. From the are Earth f- to the Moon with the with the. So you're saying film was invented for special effects? Yeah. Well, because it was cool. It was cool. It, it was kind of like no. I think that's totally right. In that, like, this is actually not bad because we started in 1921, so we skipped a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So like, it is totally true that like definitely film at first was. Hey, look at this cool new technology. Look at all this cool shit we can do with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. there was a lot of that going on. So, in that yeah. context, what what are you saying? New wave is is becoming right. as a reflection of that. Yeah. So 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 film then, uh, as we know, evolves into a you know a, a primarily narrative um, mode and uh, of, of of you know and 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 is is primarily focused on storytelling um, and uh, with those stories uh you know a lot of that um is you know very quickly becomes sort of iterative and becomes uh there are these these studios especially in japan that um that sort of that that are that are evolving and kind of kind of growing their their footprint and they're you know developing all these different capabilities and 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 producing and kind of I, I think producing is the right word. Producing and, and and even in some cases you could say manufacturing. I think with all the with all the connotations therein, uh, manufacturing stories. And one of the really difficult things about film before 
I mean, not just before the not just before the new wave, but really before. I, I but but really, you know, film in general, film as a as a, uh, a as a mass media is that it's difficult to to kind of distill what the who the, the you know the driving creative forces. Film is this product of so many different creative forces that are you know you know lending their um, you know weighing way again. I, I like as as um, as uh, you know Samuel Coleridge imagined it um, sort of uh, a lot of aeolian harps hanging in the ether sort of blowing being blown by the same wind but sort of at the same time bending that wind uh, so that uh, you know others can can take it and go with it in their direction but um, what what new wave <laughs> so long what story new wave short is. yeah new <laughs> new wave um, is a is a new wave sees sees the director or the the auteur. New wave to me is is um is hand in hand with the the sort of the emergence of the auteur. New wave sees the director take ownership of mm. of the film, and it sees the film become a a much more expressive form an individual individualistic kind of take on expression right. i guess more than... expressive and expressionistic right okay. yeah and this dovetails into our earlier discussion of citizen kane which is we are now entering the era when the movie citizen kane was rediscovered was discovered and well, like, yeah rediscovered anew okay. right yeah. by the 60s and, and yeah Leia, uh -huh. we were very much in the manufactured films until this point though like it's a big industry you throw all the talented people yeah. you get them all together they they crank it out and crank it out it's a money maker yeah. i would also say like you know I, I think another theme of this podcast that we sort of we've had some unexpected themes emerge in our little podcast journey we're on right now I think one of them is sort of the studio system. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. like we, even though, and it's kind of a little bit somewhat ironic that like by the 60s, the studio system was breaking down a little bit in America. But even though we watched a film that's not a great example of a studio system movie at all, the studio system in Japan was going strong. In okay. the 60s and this movie was still made within a studio system right. w w and 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 i think and and caused a splash in, in mm -hmm. it um and, and 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 there were there were commercial repercussions for making these kinds of daring all-tour films mm -hmm. um as as we'll see so this 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 film pigs and battleships are uh uh that this we'll let you have that yeah one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th this is made by nikatsu yes nikatsu mm -hmm. yeah um, who who were a, a prominent uh, film industry before before the war? Well, now I know. Thank, again, thanks to this book I'm reading, I'm going to be more articulate than I might have otherwise. I might have previously been like Nakatsu did one monster movie called Gappa. The but only monster. The only monster. The only Nakatsu monster movie was Gappa. But now I know that Nakatsu is actually the oldest uh, oh. Japanese film studio. I have a question. Sure. That's maybe changing lanes a little bit, but I sure. think it's necessary. I need the broader context of Japan and specifically American military occupation in Japan because okay. that's a huge part of this movie and I need the right. okay. context I will, filled. There. I will get I will I will stay on the same lane and then drift over real quick sure. because Nikatsu, the oldest film studio, was the biggest at the time of World War II and it was the number one producer of propaganda movies for the state in the in during world war ii and um by the time and then so because of that during the occupation the occupation lasted from of course 
1945 to 1952. So, so seven long years, but like that's actually, but we actually, the, the American occupation ended in 1952. The, the but we still maintained bases? What's that? We still maintained bases? Yep. Okay. And so during, during the American occupation, Nakatsu was shut down. Did not make movies until after the occupation. Why? Why? Because they were propaganda. Because they were the number oh, one. Right, sure. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, they were the number one producer of anti-American movies. This okay. is the nature of, of occupation and hegemony is uh -huh. to is to sort of strangle out that that you cannot permit in, in an occupation you cannot permit a a an indigenous voice to to take hold you were trying to implant the voice the the occupiers vo voice and and perspective into in, the, the the people of the, the occupied region. in that context this movie seems like almost a revenge film yeah. for that studio like well, we're coming back with our well Japan that's part and our complex relationship with you america we're coming right back in that's yeah. interesting that's interesting yeah the other thing is that yes but after this film was made, the director of this movie was not allowed to make another movie for Nakatsu for a couple of years. Really? Because it ruffled too many feathers. It was a little too hot at the time it came out. Yeah, and I read a lot about this yeah. and his reaction and how he was kind of against the grain for Japanese filmmakers mm -hmm. because he wanted to get the seedy underbelly of mm -hmm. people. He wanted to talk about the lower classes. He wanted to represent women as Sex sexual yeah. and then and kind of into it, like not yeah. these victim-y, demure geisha types, but like mm -hmm. this was halfway. They had some agency. They had this. some agency and they mm -hmm. had, they understood the deal. And he was, that was not from what I understood considered appropriate i don't know if you know no, i mean about it. japan was and still is pretty conservative you know yeah, culture so so that's part of it and i mean i think just generally as even at the time even that long after the occupation the whole like japanese american relation you know you know sexual or even romantic was kind of taboo huh. uh, for a long time to portray on film and this film does a lot more than that and so, yeah. Well, I guess one thought I had watching this is, well, I, I didn't really think about this question at the time. I just kind of assumed it was set during the occupation. But now I'm wondering, maybe it's not set during the occupation. Now, of course, this comes out nine years after the occupation. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm almost wondering if it was set in when it was made, 1961, and this is just near a base. I'm not sure. It seemed like they were at a port city and it was a base. And yeah. jazz is very prevalent. Oh Which, I mean, was true during the occupation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so, 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 um, so Pigs and Battleships takes place in, in the, the port town of uh, uh, Yokosuka. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you, so, so I believe this is, um, you know, if, if, we, if, if we're, you know, made to understand that, that this is taking place in the, you know, the year it was filmed or, 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 or contemporary time, right? Not, mm -hmm. not during the primary occupation before 1952. The American GIs are, are sitting in port, right? There's, mm -hmm. um, we, we see, you know, there's this ever present, uh, uh, you know, fleet of ships out in, in port. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's very much a, a, a the, 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 the Japanese characters in the film point to it as a kind of portal to the outside world um, as well as a, you know, a, a, a force that is causing them a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and, and, and sort of complicating their lives in a, in a, in a myriad of ways. Um, 
So, uh, so, so I think we should acknowledge um, that that even though formal occupation ends in 1952, um, there is a there is an ongoing uh, ag agreement uh, known in Japan as Ampo. Um, I, I think <laughs> uh, that uh, that allows um, Americans to to retain a military presence in in the country um, seemingly in, indefinitely. Indefinitely, pretty much that was the deal. Are yeah. we still there? Yeah, we still got bases yeah. there. Okay. Oh, okay. everywhere. Yeah. I, I mean, this is th these these were absolutely the kind of diplomatic relations that we were trying to negotiate uh -huh. anywhere. And uh, <laughs> so are you going into the protests and all that that happened right around this time this movie came out? Yeah. So in, yeah. in, so in, 19, uh, in 1960, I believe, there is a renegotiation of Ampo. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and beginning in 59, there's a lot of, um, uh, of, of protest um, against these, these relations as people are starting to realize some of the, um, the lasting effects that um, a sort of American military hegemony is having mm -hmm. on, on on Japanese sort of culture and infrastructure uh, very much in reconstruction at this point. And, so. and there's also just the sheer discomfort of the fact that Japan was almost explicitly a buffer state between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. Like, we are, like, placing you, like, we're having an armed nuclear standoff with another power, and your state is kind of, we're using you as a buffer zone. You know, that was part of the discomfort going on there. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, so, Helena, do you want to talk about women as portrayed in this movie? That's kind of, what's I mean, one of your wheelhouses? That's one of my things. I mean, I thought it was amazing and interesting, and it just stopped me in my tracks and blew my mind and was like, all right, I'm into this movie from minute one when they were arresting all the prostitutes and she's yelling like i'm gonna come back and haunt you like in you america know, you know i'm gonna and our men get get mean when they're hungry we're just doing our jobs we're just working our jobs and that was just so intense and so powerful and she was pretty so raw yeah raw and mm -hmm. like i was like okay i'm in this world i get these people this is going to be a ride and this is going to be very interesting and i oh, yeah. loved the lead actress how did we decide we were gonna Haruko? yeah Haruko. Um, i really liked her she was <sighs> she was not a femme fatale you, no in New Orleans, no, she really wasn't she was fatale. so layered and so complicated she was like a she really just wanted him to straighten up she wanted she didn't she was have a, motives that were um she was a lot like olga in you know uh, little Caesar. She didn't like the mob. She was trying to convince him to get out of it from day one. He was trying to be all suave and smooth and like, no, it's a good thing. We're fine. And she was... Shut again, up, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was being very much like, fuck this the whole time. And she really stuck to her guns, except for when she sort of thought maybe she would... She got her spirit broken and started to think she was going to work for... Was it the general of the American army that mm. she was going to go be like a prostitute some like officer gordon yeah. that was yeah, the Gord guy's Mr. name gordon yeah <laughs> yeah yeah he, uh, just being like hey where are you going baby i paid good money for you yeah it's <laughs> like she just says thanks for the dress and goes and gets oh, on man, a train I, fuck yeah i love that i want to talk a little bit about quinta That's yeah. A, yeah 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 we gotta so, talk a lot about him a little so bit. maybe it's some ne necessary exposition uh to this film so that so the film focuses on on two young characters. How, how, what kind of age? Early 20s? Yeah, yeah, they, they seem, seem like, like 20s, like too young to have really much memory of the war, but like, because it's implied that his, uh, his, Quinta's older brother 
is is a victim of the war was a soldier in the war and didn't mm. come home right. i think that's yeah. pretty strongly implied Th- their lives have been fully shaped by occupation yeah. it seems like it yeah or at least like the immediate aftermath of the war and all that yeah yeah right. so so quinta is is a is a young uh so so we have we have these two lovers uh uh quinta and haruko and and quinta is a a, a young aspiring yakuza um, he, he belongs to this kind of small town uh, uh, Yakuza clan. Uh, if, 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 uh, and I know we mentioned before uh, that the Yakuza has this kind of um, kind of this this incorporated model where and where that's criminal, right? Yakuza just for they're, kind of, yeah, they're yeah, the, the mob the mob sort of yeah the mob. Go ahead, keep yeah, going. the mafia. And, and and what will happen is these these you know one sort of small group of uh, small town gangsters will will start running a scheme and then um they will you know sort of maybe butt heads with another group who are incorporated at a larger clan level and and what happens is they either you know get snuffed down or or in the, in the usual case i know as as in the, the the yakuza video game franchise will lead you to believe you know they don't they don't carry guns and stuff you they they, they beat you up and run run you out of town right uh, <laughs> japan still has this is uh important to know japan still has uh keeps a very uh, um tight grip on uh how yakuza is portrayed in in modern media um uh, uh takeshi katano is one of the you know kind of grandfathers of the modern uh, yakuza drama and he's he's run into a lot of issues with this right. sort of film so they put, they what the japanese government prefers them not to glorify it or not right. to say Cor- too much about correct it. yeah and, 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 and in the other hand that the you know oh. the japanese government is has been known to take you know bribes and and look the other way and and, and sort of be you know be you know acquiesce to to the right. the, the interests of the yakuza <laughs> but anyway so 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 um we have kinta who's part of this yakuza but he's low down he's on the chain uh, he's like a little gopher henchman guy he, he is literally he tends to a uh, a pen of swine Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he thinks that's on his that's he his way thinks, road to becoming a big really shot red like kind of a pyramid scheme to me the whole time he's like this is gonna be my way up the chain this is and you know i'm gonna get a cut of the pigs and i'm gonna make some i'm gonna finally have some savings and it's just like a the more classic likely. little person at the bottom of the pyramid that's like i'm just gonna make a few more sales and then i'm gonna yeah. You know, hit the big time finally when it's kind of set up where you're never ever you're gonna take a rap for the boss and you're gonna go to jail and that's the real yeah, pattern. Right. Yeah, and the the of course the like possibly more realistic bet for him to move up in the world, but still probably bullshit is the helping hide a body. Yeah. <laughs> you so know. to get back to your summary, where right that's that's character A. We have Keita. Uh huh. Yeah. Henchman. Yeah. And uh-huh. character B, Haruko. Right. Haruko. Who's like apparently literally a girl next door. Number yeah. one, you yeah. know, <laughs> girl across hall. It yeah. seems like. And kind yeah. of a babe. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. I mean, her her older sister is one of the prostitutes in the whorehouse. Well, no, no. It, her older sister, I believe, is is one of your quote unquote high class works for an officer. Okay. Because yeah. that's why she has those nice dresses. And, yeah. and like, she's like, what? I have nice dresses. And you but don't, you know, Big, that's to, what you're jealous of. She also seems to work in the family restaurant, which is kind of the front. Wait, well, is is... Is the mother the owner of the restaurant? Okay, I thought maybe that was another woman. Okay. They were all kind of hanging out in there all the time. Okay. These are multi-generational families. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and so 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 Haruko is yeah, has has been so so is she she's is she actively working the bathhouse or she, or she's um I think she her I think her job is like pretty much on the up and up working for this family business or for the yeah, restaurant. She and like, she yeah. but she kind of like flirts with 
with getting doing more than flirting with the with the uh, military. Yeah. Yes, with sex work. Right. And like, and her sister apparently is straight up a sex worker. And so. she's trying to convince her throughout the movie to do it too. Yeah. Like, you mm-hmm. just come on. You'll have money. You'll have it made. What are you waiting yeah. for? But she apparently has a real relationship with. Uh, well, a relationship with with this guy who's a low life with yeah. Kingtop. Yeah. yeah, and and he is a and and but and at the same time, so we learn pretty early on that she, her family, her mother has been given a sum of money, thirty thousand yen. See, this is part of the, some of the plot, plot I was a little hazy on, actually. Yeah. So yeah. so 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 an American GI has essentially offered her mother a dowry. Right. Of, of thirty thousand yen, which uh, I don't I don't know uh, adju- what that is adjusted for inflation, but at, or, or for inflation, but but at the uh, at the present moment that's not about chump three, change. Yeah, at the present moment that's about three thousand dollars, but maybe you could think three thousand dollars from in nineteen sixty one money. Yeah. Well, like the well, of course, my point is is that this is terrible regardless math. of what the math is, for, <laughs> these people for, are poor. Is that yeah. this is this is a film set in 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 poverty. You know, the, the, yes. the, everyone here is, you know, any money is, is a lot, yes. pretty much, is how it's portrayed. And, and her, yeah, they did say over and over, she's bought and paid for, she's bought and paid for, Kenton needs to leave her alone, She's she's got a guy already. Like, yeah. and, she, and, and a lot of the people who don't like Quinta around her have a point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because he's a, a little bit of a low life. Yeah. <laughs> you See, know? I, and the interesting thing about Quinta that I wanted to say is yeah. he's... He seems to have a lot of people in his life who support him and want good things for him and are giving him good advice. And the yes. whole movie, he's just like, yeah, no. <laughs> and it drives me crazy. And I'm like, I knew from the beginning, spoiler alert, this dude's a goner. Yeah. You know, he's just going to keep not taking their advice. And then he will at the very end. I had this in my head from the beginning. At yeah. the very end, he's going to be like, I will take your advice. I am leaving this stupid organization of all low lowlifes, disorganized, a bunch of idiots in my opinion um and then he finally agrees to and yeah so so i guess he's a goner this kind of like leads into my like interpretation of the movie and i actually like so i watched this totally assuming this is set during the occupation and i think maybe if it's not set during the occupation that alters my interpretation of this movie a little bit but part of my my interpretation of it is that from quinta's perspective this is an incredibly bleak story yeah. Right. I mean, it, he pretty much has three bad choices. Continue to work for the Yakuza. Yeah. Or becoming, in his words, a wage slave or, you know, working in a damn factory. Yeah. And then, I don't know. I mean, this option is not as clear for men in this movie, but like some variety of, of some variety of whoring yourself out to the Americans working for them. Yeah. Those are your three grim choices. Or flee to... Flee from the from the town. Flee from your. Flee from the town, but then become a wage slave. Yeah, okay. that's okay. partly that's why. The, okay. That's partly why he's resistant to go with her because he's like, I don't want to just be some working stiff. I can be a fucking mob guy, you know. Yeah. Like that's the real thing. Is this is that he he, he can he, keep swaggering can around be town someone. in his cool jacket. He's not gonna be someone if he's just a working stiff in a factory. Yeah. So like so the movie's put kind of grim. In that, you know, all three bad choices and, and it, it, it doesn't end well for him. But I think it's interesting in that Haruka, she kind of has, you know, it's weird because in some ways this movie could be bleak if it's just about him. Yeah. But because it's also about her and she gets away from this mess, is sort of like this movie, I think, reflects the actual attitude in, Jap- in Japan 
which is that ultimately this is a place that was moving up. You know, this mm-hmm. was a place that, you know, this was ultimately a place that went through a very rough time with seemingly some bleak choices, but was a place that was headed in a positive, hopeful direction. And so I think... But in a very submissive posture to, to American paternalism. Perhaps, yeah. but I mean, she doesn't choose American paternalism in the end. Yeah, so like, I think this movie reflects... Towards, yeah, Japanese industry. She, she, yeah. This movie, I think, reflects the general like attitude of like, we can do this ourselves. And ultimately, that is kind of... And, like, and Japan was very much, at the time this movie comes out, was still very much... It was no longer this, this place of abject poverty that, was, that it was post-war. But it was not yet what it kind of we kind of see Japan be now. Yeah. So yeah. so it opens on um, on this this sort of dizzying survey of all this neon. Yeah. In, yeah. in the downtown area. Imported mostly in English neon. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 it's like this is the this is the the image of Japan that is redeveloping in the trajectory of. Into a being an entertaining and hospitable place for American GIs right. to reside temporarily, maybe, and enjoy the the sort of the spoils of an occupied people. Yeah. Many of whom, for for many of whom, that 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 means um, that means sex workers, Japanese sex workers, and yeah. this is and this is a a stereotype that still persists today, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there there is a there is a problematic sexualization of Asian women yep. in American culture specifically, and yep. um and there is a a historically valid observation to be made about the way that American occupation kind of, I mean, drove, energized sex work in Japan. And, 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 mm. and sex work in Japan today is this very... so so. Before it was the whole geisha thing, which was kind of glamorous. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and geishas, uh, I, I don't really know too much about geisha culture, I either, but, I, but, I, mean, but I, I know it's a, it's a kind of full service. It's all very uh, euphemistic, right? Uh, and, and that's the nature of Japanese sex work still. It's kind of companionship. It's kind a of like... A little more than sex sometimes. It's, it seems I... like it was a, at least a little bit more like how it's portrayed in a Firefly. Yeah, that's always <laughs> what I thought. Yeah, but maybe, like... that's, maybe that's just how it's portrayed. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's that's perhaps any deeper is perhaps a, a, a different podcast. A stretch, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, so so um, I think the real tragedy of this film is is having these two young people who are both feeling cornered and mm-hmm. and whose lives are being they don't have a lot of agency in their lives. They I, really I think either either one of them, uh, and they are you know between several rocks and hard places uh but uh and even though haruko goes to a new town mostly she's just you know she's saying goodbye to old problems but she's probably saying hello to plenty of new problems yeah and this doesn't happen until the very end of the film correct yeah. Yeah. The, the resolution mm-hmm. um but uh but i think a lot of that tragedy is that, that they are both in that situation and then they are looking upon one another's uh sort of mutual exploitation and seeing how different it is, I think. I, I think. I feel. I really. Uh, Kinta's view is, is, as you said, very dark. Not just because of the, the the you know the shitty options that 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 he has sort of laid out for him, but also because he is watching his 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 like lover be 
exploited in this like mm-hmm. uh, this this really insidious way that that he also can't access. He's being he's being sort of um, emasculated by this American GI's offer to essentially purchase his girlfriend. Yeah. And I mean yeah. that is it's almost like why he's sort of like seems to act shitty towards her because he's it's almost like he's trying to be more of a tough guy than he is try to be like i'm not even that interested in you really you know it's almost like he's protecting his feelings or whatever Dignity. Yeah. and it, it might be kind of why he digs his heel in about heels in about the mob so hard i think yeah. also that's i mean and some of this is related to a couple of different threads we've been on but like i think it's also very notable how little this movie portray how how much this movie does not glamorize anything about being in the yakuza yeah it really makes it like ooh, this is this is not they it's glamorous seem, it just seems nasty and seedy and not they fun. seem like a bunch of dopes to me really except like that for that one... bartender guy he was so suave he's so he's suave my that one guy who's like i got cancer he's such an idiot and he's kind of like the boss of that small little ring yeah at that little yeah. little, little ring that uh Keita's part of and yeah. even he's, he's got such, a miserable little he's crap such an life idiot. he seems like a complete basket case and this is what this glamorous organization that Keita wants is really is a bunch of neurotic people doing the best they can trying to make a living yeah and they're all stabbing each other in the back trying to get more money than the other and they've yeah. all what was that at the end where they all made different deals with the pigs yeah and like two different groups are trying can to I, steal them at the same a lot time. of that was confusing to me but i mean I, I, I understood i didn't have to follow the details yeah, yeah. What, what is the significance of the pigs in the Ooh. film i really am not sure i can answer that question so Let's uh, Helen. Comedy? <laughs> <laughs> At least partially, yes. Yeah. At least um, partially, because definitely that final scene is kind of pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. It's 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 almost a little bit like really you would just die if pigs came in yeah, contact that's what I with thought your was legs. So funny that they were so afraid. They were like gasping and running away. And it's I mean, like, it does seem like a lot of pigs. I mean, a like... stampede of any animal seems like <laughs> a little bit intimidating. And then they're just all bruised and dirty at the end. They're not even like badly <sighs> injured. They just got yeah. trampled by pigs and now they're all dirty. Ha ha. So Carson. So on the descriptive level, so so. So, so first of all, so this is a crime film. So, what is the crime exactly that they're engaging with with the pigs? So they, so they are. This probably was set during the occupation because the black market was a bigger part of the economy during the occupation. So there'd be black market meat because literally they were getting like food from America, like not just not just trade, but like military rations were how a lot of the Japanese island was islands were fed. Yeah. And so, like, so therefore, there was a lot of corruption of, like, you know, uh, there was a, of black market food dealing. So, so they're, they're purchasing the pigs from this Chinese barfly. That's right. And the Chinese barfly, it's revealed. So, so, um, so, so our 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 main character, um, <laughs> uh, uh, Kinta, is, is so he tends to these pigs, um, and. I think he is initially under the impression that these are stolen pigs, or that, that some, for some somehow these these pigs have an illicit air about them. They are okay. mm-hmm. they are suspicious swine. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, I think, uh, so what's revealed to us is that the the the, chi- the Chinese barfly is actually sort of just scraping these pigs. Uh, these pigs are like excess stock. From the mm-hmm. 
from the the uh, American fleet. So uh, so he's kind of he's kind of scraping these pigs off the off the top of the 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 pork barrel, <laughs> if you will. Um, some, pig puns go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of something. Else. <laughs> and uh, and and I think that that also the yeah the the provenance of that of of like the the herd. Uh, uh, the herd of swine. Uh, 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 so what's what's the proper the proper demon? Bunch so, of pigs. So, <laughs> li- Them li- hot dogs. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, he. Yeah. So so these pigs are essentially. I mean that that uh, that sort of dimin- really diminishes the the allure of of the the crime that he is facilitating. Right. Right. Is that these are just like these aren't. I mean, this is this isn't like some you know secret uh, you know he, he's not like smuggling uh, intelligence you know off off these off these ships. These are the excess swine, and this is his livelihood. Mm-hmm. And so he, I think he starts to see this. He he gets this this more complete image of the sort of the scale of his life and occupation and how diminutive he is in this in this picture of occupation. But I also think. It sort of showed his character that he was actually kind of a sweet kid in that he seemed to kind of really care about the pig's well-being. He was like the only one working on cleaning up after them. And he was like, you guys need to take better care of them. And he's like kind of bragging to Haruko in the beginning, like, this is the new big business is pigs. And I'm going to make it at the big time this time with the pig business. Like. He seemed... I don't see much affection. Well, except at the end where he's like, set him free. Yeah. I mean, no, I think he was a little bit... <laughs> I, I got that impression. I got, I got that too. Yeah. yeah. Like... At least that he took pride in what he did and maybe not so much that he cared about the pig specifically, yeah, but, but he, he cared about his his job. He wanted to do a good job and he thought this was a way up the ladder. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at the very end, he realized it wasn't. Which is why it was so disillusioning when the pigs... Are fed a corpse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is by the way probably the funniest scene in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. and that was the first thing Eric said. He didn't watch um, most of this movie with me. He was kind of in and out. But like as soon as he saw the pigs, he was like, "Oh, this is a mob movie. I know what those are for." Like, <laughs> well, like he's that's seen, what he's seen his share of Guy Ritchie. Movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what yeah. Snatch is the one that yeah, they the, feed the, people to the pigs. Yeah, like yeah. he was like, "That's why they got the pigs. It's not for food smuggling. It's just to feed them corpses. That's what pigs are for, I right?" Did, like, I, I did think to myself. Like, oh, they're going to eat a body in this movie. Yes. And it did happen. I mean, have you, have you ever seen pigs eat? Have you ever fed pigs in your life? No. It's horrifying. <laughs> There's like a scene where they feed pigs in this movie, and I'm like, that's not what pigs look like when you feed them. Because <laughs> you, you dump a bucket of whatever, and it's just like noises, and and it's so spazzy. They, they're they so frightening when they eat something. Wow. And so... Anyways, I'm kind of like, yeah, you put something there, like, I can eat this sick. Yeah. It's gone within seconds. Well, that's why it's, like, not kosher to eat pigs, right? Because they will eat a dead body they if they eat. find that's it. That's because God commanded us not to. Okay. But I thought, like, the Sorry. logical the logical reason was that, like, they will literally eat anything, including a dead person, and therefore they're dirty, contaminated See, animals. when I was living on a farm, uh, or near a farm, like sometimes they just like, hey, throw some slop in here, and I'm like, oh shoot, I accidentally put a little plastic in there. Can I get that out? And they're like, nah. They'll <laughs> eat it. Yeah, it's fine. Like, and I'm like, really? It's like, yeah, they eat all kinds of stuff. So, like, it's wait, just... so it's not bad for them? I mean, 
Shouldn't be like, take it out because they'll eat it. They're, Someone they're, eating it later will bite down on that somehow. Yeah, how does how did how did it Okay. <laughs> they they're eating it looks like off the skin of a whole pig and somehow they get teeth out of the skin. I, I have realism issues there, but that's okay. Let's just go with the the comedy of the moment, I guess. Yeah, they uh, find Well what I thought was so funny about this scene just personally is the fact that like is is the fact that, that guy like brags, he's like He's like, yeah, this is the pig that ate the guy. And they're going, Ugh! and he's like, what are you guys so grossed out about? You know, like, he's, he's, gonna, he's content to keep eating, you know. Again, the, the pigs didn't, are there for comedy. He did yeah. not, yes, yeah. Um, and is it, is it supposed to be kind of ironic that he's so proud of pigs? Are pigs sort of seen as a stupid thing to be proud of? I think it I was wonder if that's legitimately some of the... like they were hungry and this was food. Okay, okay. I think some of that is even a little bit, I mean, certainly for dramatic irony purposes, but I think some of this is the sort of new wave realism thing in that like this isn't something glamorous that the mob is doing. It's just literally like pigs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's, it sort of symbolizes the sort of, the grimy utilitarianism. This is of like this the two lifelines of Japan: pigs and battleships. Like life, livestock, yeah. and colonialism. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's that's what those sure. were your options. Okay. Yeah, and if you look at other so other yakuza films, and uh, notably another uh, uh, imported Nikatsu director is uh, Seijun Suzuki. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've seen a lot of Suzuki. He did. Um, he directed uh, an actor uh, named uh, Joe Shishido who. Uh, famously uh, got injections in his cheeks that didn't take right and so he had for the rest of his career these sort of blown up chipmunk like cheeks but anyway uh seijun suzuki was doing uh was doing hyper stylized uh uh yakuza uh action films about um sort of the number one assassin trying to you know assassins trying to rise to the ranks of a, of a sort of fictional like like worldwide ranking of of, of you know killers or hired killers and uh and, and and he also ran into trouble with nikatsu about the same around the same time um i, I think uh branded to kill uh came out within within a year or two of, of mm -hmm. uh, pigs and battleships and uh so 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 it completely in the in the in a completely different direction yeah, this is the, the sort of the gritty realism to Suzuki's sort of wild, surrealist uh, fictionalization of, of, um, of higher killing. But, um... Yeah, and I wonder if it was Suzuki. I read a lot of articles on Google Scholar real quick before this, and someone tried to compare this director, Imamura, is that whatever? Um, close, his, enough. close enough with some other very prominent director of the time and he kind of blew it off as like he's he's a samurai i'm a peasant like he wanted to oh, okay. yeah. he wanted to show the seedy underbelly of japan he was like i i make films about real japan that guy makes films about fake japan about <laughs> no it wasn't kurosawa okay. <laughs> that would have jumped out to me yeah um so one of the things I enjoyed about this film, oh, did you have another? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I just wanted to say I really appreciate how ethnographic this movie is. We've yes. been going into it really intensely. I want to watch more movies by this director. He has one movie that I wrote down because it stuck out to me so much. The Pornographer's Subtitle, An Introduction to Anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
wow, I gotta watch that movie. Like, that sounds so up my alley. That's terrific. <laughs> like, he wanted, he kind of wanted to make this documentary style, like, portrait of the real backbone, the real foundation of Japan. What makes Japan run? The guts, the people on the ground, not the stylized, fancy, high-class people. And I really appreciate that. And I feel like that's the clearest snapshot of a culture you get is the basic people. One of the most interesting little moments is the part where they, that I guess it's one of the brothers in that little family reads out loud that textbook yeah. about yeah. the summary of Japan. It's yeah. Kind of, yeah, like they're, they're, they're the family is arguing about what to do about the Americans. And then that little boy goes like, Japan is the greatest country of all time. Yeah. Finishes up his dinner and is immediately f has a small fight about reading that yeah. with his siblings. <laughs> That's a uh, that was very on the nose. It was yeah. a it was a very editorializing sort of director wants you to pay attention to the scene sure, too. Sure. You know. Yeah, and and I think and I think there's a I mean there's a a lot to be made of that because so much of occupation um, and 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 and, and um, colonialism has historically taken place at the level of um, of education and pedagogy. So, like, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, assume that uh, students of English literature have been reading Shakespeare for centuries, right? Or, or since, since Shakespeare's times, right? Since, since the early modern period. But uh, really, Shakespeare was proven uh, under um, British colonial India. Um, and, and, and what... Uh, what they would do so the British would establish schools right for 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 school-aged Indian children and and they would um, design these curricula and they would sort of sort of test them out in their colonies they were doing these in other places but it's it's been um, it's, it's been most most um, most significantly studied in India and that is how they identified Shakespeare as a way of sort of encapsulating the best parts of English culture in in and in, 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 in Great Britain was so successful in that too because I mean so much of the you know the Indian caste system has I mean that the sort of the you know the upper part the you know the sort of rich uh, Delhi families have really embraced British culture um, and, and become kind, Spoke to them. kind of Anglophiles, yeah. basically. Right. And um, so they do that on one hand, and then at the same time also then go and take that cur those curricula back to, you know, back to the British Isles, and they say, well, these have, you know, this has been proven on, you know... You know to mold minds. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh -huh. and, and, so, and used to indoctrinate the home Indians farm. can't be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That's fascinating. So one thing that fuels my interpretation of the sort of positive, sort of like, we're Japan and we're, we're actually ahead of the right direction, is an irony in this movie that I think probably... He would not have predicted, but it is an irony of this movie. Is you know the town she's trying to go to, right? Yeah. Kawasaki, mm -hmm. which is of course a brand. Yeah. In this yeah. country, yeah. you know, it's sort of like it's a little bit of an irony that uh, like these like this horrible dead end of of working at a factory. It's like well, those factories they became would much... conquer America to a large extent. Yeah. You know, now it's like now like people in Alabama yeah. work for. Honda plants. Yeah. Is you know. Kawasaki a major manufacturing? Apparently, I was yeah. looking it up because I know the name, but it was a um, it was a uh, motorcycle company. I had a right, Kawasaki right. keyboard. That's right. Yeah. 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 So um, I think we had Kawasaki speakers because that was what popped in my head when I saw Kawasaki. So yeah. Um, I want to talk about 
probably the one of the most powerful scenes for me personally and also one of the most horrifying is i suppose the rape scene yeah, yeah that was very powerfully done and rather it was very artfully done and i was horrified and i was like okay we're getting exactly what this filmmaker thinks about americans yeah. right here yeah. yeah and uh and it was it was horrifying when they were throwing her around yeah and of course they sort of I was so relieved they did that artful spin around. I yeah. was like, how graphic are they going to get with this? Because I cannot deal. Yeah, I and was then, scared. I was like, I, yeah. I, I, how traumatized am I about to be? But the yeah. stunning effect was, was, uh, was effective. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. clever. It, um, it was still horrifying. It literally, was still horrifying. Yeah, literally and figuratively dizzying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And plus it, it worked also because she was drunk. Yeah. You know, was all, you know so. And it kept... It just... They're later in the shower together, and they're just broing out. Yeah, all the dudes. It just, it just kept getting more disturbing to me after the spinning, in a way. Yeah. Like, and I was like, "Freaking take that money, go." Yeah. But then that was not going to end well either. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. so sad. And before, when she was having an argument with Kinta, she was like, "How bad could it be? I just have to fool around with some Americans. How bad can it be? Maybe yeah, I'd rather bad. do that." And then, yeah, bad. The answer yeah. is bad. bad. Yeah, the brutish depiction of these American GIs is one of the most. I mean, is the most di- one of the most directly incisive critiques on on, on the American. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of like get them. Yeah, you know, just as a guy who grew up with American movies, like we're coming to save the day. Ha-ha, yeah, you know? and yeah. So I mean, one thing I found a little distracting though is how I think most of the Americans in the movie are clearly not American. Yeah, they're like British or they're not <laughs> or native English speakers. Or they're like not native English. I've yeah. been working on the yeah. That was very distracting to me. <laughs> and then, by the way, like, and this is something that, like, that's very, that's not uncommon. When they wanted to put Westerners in a movie, quote unquote, they would just, Japan was not exactly a place teeming with wannabe actors who happened to be Westerners. Yeah. So, they, so, like, pretty much every Westerner who's in any Japanese movie, especially of this era, is some random person who's, like, on a business trip and, yeah. like, it's, like, you want to be in a movie or, like, just random expat who's just, just random people who happen to be straight. West. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think the only guy who's an American is the guy in the first scene who gets his hat stolen. Yeah. You know, I think the rest of them are, like, like, even, like, what's his name? Mr. The, the main American. Gordon. Mr. Gordon sounded American. No, I listen to him. I'm like, no, this guy's got a certain weird. St- I mean, some of it's maybe he's not a good actor, which is also par for the course. Because it could have been some guy off the street. Because it could have been some guy like off the street practically. But I think even him, I was listening to him going like, I don't think this guy is an American either. It's just, but it didn't matter because, <laughs> yeah. So that was something that was a little distracting to me. Yeah. Is well, you know, like comically distracting in 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 ways. But I mean, yeah, it yeah. was the of the time too. Yeah, it was kind yeah. of charming. And, and I imagine and... we did some of the same fucking thing here in America. Oh gosh, I'm All sure. The... I'm sure it's in excruciating for mm-hmm. people to watch yeah. our Asian characters. Face, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, face, yeah, there's yeah. that. But I guess at least by the '60s, '70s, you at least had, you know, Los Angeles is a place teeming with wannabe actors. At least. <laughs> What's the uh, ongoing spy serial? Uh, Born identity? No. <laughs> no, the, the, with the, with uh, the... James, James Boned? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, 
Japanese spy series? Uh, yeah, it? no, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on it. I, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, anyway, yeah, so so how are you, how are you doing on time? Oh, yeah, we're, like, we're, yeah. we're maybe entering perhaps final thoughts, period. But I wanted to say one more thing about, I read sort of about this director's process and how he wanted to make kind of simulated, spontaneous, quote-unquote, messy films, but he very he never strayed from the script. The script was the Bible. It was... It was all planned beforehand. Yeah. And I think that, is that, a, Colin, as a filmmaker, is it easier to improvise or is it easier to treat the script like the letter of the law? Like, what is a more difficult film to make? Um, I would say the script needs to be king, whether however off book you go, because honestly, most movies that are bad are bad because the script sucks. Yeah, not that's because so. other things sucked. So I would say to me, doing, going off book, doing improvising is riskier. Yeah. So you have to know what you're doing if you're doing it that way. Yeah. Because um, apparently he was very strict about, and he planned it until it was perfect before he started shooting. Right. And it was like, you follow the letter of the law and the script. And in the point was so that it could appear more spontaneous somehow. I mean, which is some of fascinating is, to me. Well, some of that is like, I wonder what he did with the rehearsal because, uh, of course, um, Scorsese's famous for lots of his scenes, of his most famous scenes are quote unquote improvised. But what they were is that they were improvised during lots of rehearsal. Like, he, uh, his movies, not all directors do this, not all filmmakers do this, where they do lots of rehearsals, but Scorsese is a guy who does lots of rehearsals. Nora Ephron was apparently famous for mm -hmm. rehearsals. Probably yes. some dialogue-heavy kind of directors do that. Yeah. Like certainly Coen Brothers do rehearsals, but that's mostly because they don't want any improvisation. They want it perfect. Mm -hmm. But um, Scorsese, of course, is a guy who like, okay, during rehearsals, I want you guys to play around with the dialogue. Spitball, yeah. But once, and he, would, he films rehearsals, and once... Once the rehearsals are over, we we figure out what the good improvisation is, and that's then locked into the script. Yeah. So yeah. it could be there's some of that. Going and I think on. especially yeah. within the within the Japanese studio system, I think the the you know the script really represents a contract between the studio and the director. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. So and you don't play around with that. Following yeah. the script is a is a safe bet. Yeah, and especially with uh, in, in of course, uh, I guess some. Some small amount of context is like this is sort of the peak of Japanese filmmaking in terms of in terms of quant quantity arguably quality but definitely quantity and by that point like they started to reduce the amount of movies made and tighten the belt yeah on. and you know that that's reflected from my perspective mostly in like that's why Godzilla movies started to get progressively cheaper looking but it yeah. wasn't just it was also Kurosawa got squeezed out of making bigger movies which so. Godzilla movie was contemporary to this movie? Were uh, they in theaters at the, the same time? The, the film that came out the same year as this was Mothra. Oh. The first Mothra. I was going to guess Raids again. Mm. No, no. That was, was 55. Um, so, uh, Carson, do you have uh, anything before final thoughts? Um, yeah, so, I, well, I think, I mean, final thoughts, I mean, should we look at the final scene? I, I think, yeah, uh, the pigs. We need to talk about and the, the well, machine gun the, man. The like, machine, well, so I, I have one kind of like throwaway thing that I maybe want to mention before we get into that kind of thing. I don't because I have a thought that I don't want to be the final thought. Okay, throw it this way. I shall throw it in the direction. <laughs> though. 
that damn Confederate flag on his hat was distracting. Oh my gosh, yeah. And like, I kind of almost didn't want to talk about it, but the thing is, every time it was in on frame, I found it distracting. Yeah, I was like, is that for real? Is that something that looks similar to a Confederate flag, or is that an actual, honest to God, like straight up on Kenta's baseball cap? Oh, okay. It was a patch. Yes. I mean, I think it was kind of just misinterpreted as just rebelliousness. Well, here's the thing. Here's why it was so distracting to me. Is well, number one, I would just think about it. It was the main thing I was thinking about. Like literally, the first scene with Kenta in it. The first scene with dialogue that you have to actually pay close attention to, I had to rewind three times because you because because I kept being like paying attention to that Confederate flag. I'm like, is that really what that is? Yeah. And like, I had to rewind that part three times and make sure I read the damn subtitles. Like, okay, I'm gonna be a big time okay guy, so I had to read that. Yeah. But um, I mean, what partly why I was thinking about it is like, I think from a just just the text, it's easy enough to interpret. Well, here's partly why it's so damn distracting, is that, like, probably that is only going to be distracting to Westerners who watch that movie in the year 2020. Yeah. Like, like this is, like, like decades in the making trolling. Probably, <laughs> I don't know if anyone up to this point would have spent that much time thinking about it. Yeah. Helen, I, I think what you said, what you said um, was really keen. Uh, I think it, so, it's, yeah. It's symbolic content is that it, it, it is showing that um, that Quinta is is he aspires to rebel, and and what against and he, the U.S. Well, and against he, he, everybody against the occupation, against the against the oppressive forces in his life in general, and he believes he is is rebelling um, by you know by joining the yakuza and tending mm -hmm. to these pigs. But what he sees is that this is. Is is that the yakuza are also embroiled in the same the same occupying scheme? So mm -hmm. I mean these these pigs are are these are just excess, and these are just and, and everything is is in service to uh, to this occupation, and so um so so he so he realizes that that even and and so so he's asked so I don't think we mentioned that he is asked to to take a hit. For to 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 be the fall guy, mm -hmm. um, for his boss after um after they they murder a man, mm -hmm. um and fail to initially fail to do uh, dispose of the body, um and I think I think he sees he realizes that the the kind of hierarchical nature of 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 yakuza and and that it that it is this that he will be he is being asked to submit in the same ways. Uh, in in an, in ways analogous to 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 the way that Japanese are are asked to submit to, which to his girlfriend had been saying the whole time. Right, <laughs> but he was too busy She's saying "nah, baby" to hear her. I do think though that like I do sincerely wonder, and I I feel like a little bit of googling did not answer this question, is that like so what what do both Japanese audiences at the time and Japanese Japanese audiences now like. What is that a signal to them? How much are they supposed to get out of that patch on his hat? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And uh, I do think it could potentially just be kind of a benign art direction choice. Because for one thing, it's, I think he's got other American iconography he wears. And like that Confederate flag was not uncommon on GI units, patches and, or, or symbols on flags, you know, especially units from the South. 
So like, it could just be like, he's got some random American iconography. If everything you understand. I don't think it's random because I think there's But they were taught some American history, right? During the occupation. So So maybe the only understanding they have is sort of a basic rebellious. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. To your point, Carson, earlier, um, you know, that brings light to the climax where he's realizing that these pigs are just a symbol of, of everything that's actually wrong with his life. And he, his and rebellion his, is just more conformity. Yeah, <laughs> so, and so he, of course, it, that makes the whole scene of letting the pigs loose make a lot of poetic it, sense. It is yeah. the mm-hmm. only thing he can do. It is the only way that he can, um, that he can, Throw can, a monkey can aff- affect freedom yeah. is just for these pigs. Yeah, and of and course, then it just seems like they round up the pigs and that's it. The cops rounded them up, though, yeah, right? Yeah, right. The cops, the pigs rounded up the pigs. Yeah, the pigs yeah. rounded up. And I think it's almost so he so, so he begins so he takes a, a a machine gun and he and he he and he starts resisting police. He he starts shooting at. The, there's this big convoluted shootout. This happens in a lot of uh, a lot of Yakuza films. Kind of a comical shootout. Well, with the fact he struggles to even shoot the damn thing. Oh, yeah, and Eric was like, oh, yeah, those things jam. He knew, like, what kind of gun it was. He was like, before he even started shooting, he was like, those are shitty machine guns. It's not going to fire. And then it didn't fire. I was like, damn it, Eric. I thought that's just because he didn't know how to use a gun. I thought he was just like, wait, where's the safety? He's like, those are bad about jamming. It's also kind of interesting how they they were not really armed to the tooth. So, like, two guys in in the Yakuza band didn't only one of them had a gun to fire back with so yeah that was part of the comedy is like a guy who barely knows how to shoot a, an unreliable weapon and then everyone you know has to cower from this not very formidable person yeah. and yeah. even within yakuza guns are are, are seen as uh, as as dishonorable and, and and sort of a cheap uh a cheap tool to 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 win over a, a conflict well they're onto something there um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So 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 right. So so like the when the gun fails, he releases the pigs. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that seems to and be a already... more effective distraction and a more. I mean, he almost gets away. Yeah. Of course, one yeah. thing is he's already shot badly by that by the point where he's letting pe- the pigs free. Right. Like he's already like kind of a goner. Yeah. Oh, but you know, you know, like you said at the beginning, John, like you called it from the beginning that he was gonna die. Uh-huh. Like I was so sure he was gonna get like found out that he had this plan to leave and he was just gonna unceremoniously like departed style get headshotted and it was get gonna whacked. Be- just going to be this really heartbreaking thing and I was so happy that he went down in a blaze of glory and I like believe with his face in a toilet bowl well but first he was in a blaze of glory and yeah. then he was face first in a toilet so a little bit of both but whatever um I was so happy that he didn't just get offed like yeah, he really yeah. really had a moment right. where he seemed like he was going to get away and he seemed kind of sadistically heroic I was into that I was relieved by that and, and this kind of to kind of come full circle to to when we were tr- when we started to try to kind of typify this generically um, it, it a, a new a major uh, theme of, of European new wave is this right you know la cara sincu right Truffaut, the Antoine Joinel running down the beach fleeing from everything it, it is this 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 like sort of you know rebellion toward uh, you know a life 
on your own standards and on, on your own devices and um and and that 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 scene um you know it's it's shot in a way that empowers him from above we see him sort of spreading machine gun fire not particularly aiming at anyone but um but you know as this as this sort of hysterical but you know convicted kind of you know you know rebel without a cause and, and shooting that, up all the neon yeah yeah, yeah. That, that that is the most That's the main thing he hits that is the most new wave and 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 more and most also most european new wave that, that this movie sort of uh aspires to stylistically for me yeah um but uh, yeah, I really, I really love that scene. I, I think it really tires, uh, t- t- excuse me, ties, uh, ties a lot of the the different different threads of this film together um, in this in this kind of uh, symbolically loaded conclusion. Um, yeah. It's a great film. Yeah, yeah it's good. I, I will say the the very end of the movie, I, I was glad that that she got the hell out of there. And yeah, was, and again, also yeah. symbolically ran past the mob of women that were all waving and whistling at yeah. the soldiers coming yeah, in. She yeah. was like pointedly, not one of you no. ladies. I am doing something different. It was it was a satisfying movie. I was a little bit like, wow, they're still going. They, well, they got to wrap up Haruko. And, uh, yeah, you, you kind of could see the movie just ending on that sort of, and, and possibly that would have been an okay conclusion of like, just the bleak thing where she's yelling at his dead body getting carted off. That yeah, would have been the Jean Luc so Godard ending. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, hell, that's basically the that's basically uh, uh, the ending of Chinatown. You know, like not not literally, but I mean that kind of grim shootout in the city streets. Boom, end of movie. Yeah, is like is is would have been was almost what I was expecting. And I don't know if she ever really got the full story and understood that he was the one that caused all of it because she just comes back from the train station where she was waiting on him. And they were just like, there's been a shootout and a bunch of mob guys got killed and she's just looking at each body as they get carted out and Mm -hmm. sees that he's one of the victims. It's like, no, your boy there was kind of the hero. Like... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, she would have preferred him not to be a hero. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Goodness, and at the very end, she's like saying goodbye to his dad. Yeah. That really kind of hit me in a funny way. Just like the dad's a sad character because, like, he's 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 a rag picker. You know, he's he's not a bad guy, obviously. And like, even this, even the whole angsty, like, you like my brother more than me, was like, you know, it's it's like the dad's just like, I'm mostly just not connected i mean you know there's a reason i drink just a drunk and i I do love you and i want good things for you he's got two great people in his life who really just want him to shape up quinta does yeah and uh yeah final thoughts or should we get to that yeah Uh, yeah well i'm glad we watched this movie for as i said a number of reasons i think we covered a lot of sort of i think this movie managed to cover a lot of ground that has in cinema history that has preceded this 1961 like that there's a lot of like late 40s 50s you know even italian neorealism that's in this movie mm-hmm. we, we we got out of america got out of hollywood in a way that was good and i think we just and i think we've looked ahead for a lot of cinema history for what's for for the styles that this movie was exemplifying so i think this is a good detour i'm glad we watched yeah i mean like we did talk some about the aftermath culturally for America after World War II with Day the Earth Stood Still. So yeah. it was nice to kind of look at the rest of the world or specifically Japan mm-hmm. about because World War II really changed everything. Yes. And, and quite a bit. Including cinema. And uh, this is a great 
great example of that, and I'm really happy we got out of America. I am, like you said. Yeah, but I'm we're really, probably going back. We're probably going back. We live here. We live uh, on here. On the next episode, America. <laughs> More, yeah, we're going to watch Dirty Harry next. It's like about as American as you can freaking get. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so we'll do what else are we consuming? We'll maybe make it brief. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, well, thank you all for having me. This has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, so. Uh, oh, do you have anything to plug? Do I have anything? Ooh. You're a CRT know. enthusiast. Well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I'm always looking for. Well, you're uh, a musician. <laughs> I'm a collector of many things, but uh, but I don't have a uh, really an online presence of any kind. So yeah, um, uh, follow me on Insta. <laughs> I'm uh, what, what am I right now? Uh, I'm WeBeater911. <laughs> My favorite Instagram handle of yours is HorseGirl69 or whatever. Yeah, Hor- HorseGirl205. Oh, okay. Uh, JesusFreak69 is one. <laughs> okay, I knew there was a 69 in there somewhere. WeBeater911. Yeah. Uh, key numbers. Okay, well, my final thoughts is that, uh, I've, as usual, I learned a lot about this movie from listening to you guys talk, because I never do any research, so... Cool. You're the pleb. Great. <laughs> Great, guys. Um, so, what are we consuming? Yeah, we'll maybe make it brief. Uh, well, uh, I'm, of course, still re- finishing up this book on Ishiro Honda. It's really just nice to read about a, a, a person who... Uh, read a biography of, like, someone who's not that complicated of a person, just a sweet, kind man. So, um, in, in addition to it being a nice overview of the things I talked about, uh, Japanese cinema history and all that... It's baseball season, so I'm uh, my show for the next six months is Atlanta Braves baseball. Uh, I'll have to check the score real quick. They're playing right now. I think they are a couple games below 500, and but we'll see where they are next episode. I'm watching movies. I'm still going to movies pretty regularly. I guess it's Oscar night, and the funny thing is, is I was like ha- I'd seen half of the Best Picture winners in like mid February, and now here it is Oscar night in late April, and I've still seen half of the best pictures. Because no. I've just kind of, like, one of the things, when you go to movies more often, when you, you're just kind of going regularly, like, norm, when you don't go as regularly, you're like, what should I watch? I need to make it count. But, like, when you're going to movies regularly or just watching movies regularly, you're like, I'm, I want to only see what I'm in the mood for. Like, I could have seen Minari last week, which is one of the big Oscar buzz movies of, mm-hmm. about the Korean family. Yeah. I just was like, I think I'm more in the mood for a Cold War drama starring Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> I just think that's what I'm in the mood for, you know? And so that's what I saw, and it was good. Sure. Um, anyway, seeing movies, uh, Voyagers was okay, but I like science fiction, so I liked it a lot. Enjoyed it a lot. I don't know if it was that good. So yeah, I'm seeing movies. Uh, but yeah, that's the summary. Yeah. I am listening to a podcast called The Line by Dan Tabersky. Great podcast. I, it's about like modern war and uh, the military and the Navy SEALs. And I'm like, I'm not going to like this. This seems dumb. Why'd you listen to it? Because Dan Tabersky. I love all of his podcasts. Okay. He did Running from Cops. He did a Y2K podcast. He did one about Richard Simmons and how he disappeared from the limelight. And they're all great. And so I'm like, I'll listen to it. It's incredible. I mean, I didn't know that I would be fascinated by the culture. And it's it's critical, you know. It's not like Navy SEALs, how hardcore. It's like Navy SEALs. We should we ought to think about them because they are doing stuff in the world as representatives of our country. So, and yeah. for us and uh it's it's ugly. Mm. So, yeah, listen to it. It's terrific. Cool. Mm. 
Uh, I also listen to podcasts eight hours a day, every day. Um, that's my whole deal. I have a job that's boring, so I need to fill my brain with something. And uh, I listen to a bunch of role, role play retcon. Um, the one uh, that Ethan plugged last time. Weird. I listened to them do Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, and it was very amusing. And they're a good podcast. I like them. If you're not into actual play, it's very actual play. Like they're going into the rules of the um, RPG pretty intensely. But if you are into actual play, it's great because they take movies that are bad and turn them into a role playing game and improve them. I, if their version of the Crystal Skull was a movie, it'd be way better. I think I could see Crystal Skull being a pretty good game. Yeah, it was a fun game. It was a fun campaign. That's the only one I've listened to so far. And I also listened to Pleasure Studies, which is a podcast done by Leslie Feist. It's so good. They're only like 20, 30 minutes long, but they are just heart-stopping little interviews, kind of stream of consciousness they're sort of encompassed by a theme like This American Life, and it's also kind of they just drop you into people talking like love, love and, radio. and radio. But it's short, and it's concise, and it's intense. Every single one. I think there's only seven episodes, but I feel like my life is improved just from that. And What's it called again? Pleasure Studies. Pleasure Studies. Yeah, yeah highly recommend. Cool. It will, yeah, it will elevate your brain. Um, <laughs> and... Yeah, I listen to the rest of the Apology Line, which is a wandery, po wandery podcast. So it's like sensational true crime. And when, you'll never believe. And you'll never believe. Episode, which yeah. really, I wish they had just done it where it was just this interesting artist man made a line where you can call and apologize about ephemeral things because it would have been a lot better if it had been more low key instead of wandery sensationalized. I still enjoyed it though. Yeah. So those are my podcasts for this week. Cool. So what's this segment? So yeah, this segment is what else are you consuming? It could be anything you want. I do often musicians. Um, Podcasts. I, I, I listen to um, the, and, and I'm a Patreon, of, a, a Patreon, a patron, a, a patron of the Patreon for uh, the uh, uh, ongoing uh, uh, retro video game podcast, uh, Retronauts, hosted by really great video game pundits from sort of the early era of, of um of video games on the web uh, jeremy Parrish and bob mackey and as always i i listen to the the long-running uh um not role-playing but role-playing inspired uh, uh long form uh improvisation co comedic improvisation podcast uh, uh hello from the magic tavern um i'm uh reading uh i'm, I'm always reading <laughs> uh yesterday i bought uh finally bought volume two of uh neil gaiman's sandman Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. What else reads? That's good. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> well, Colin's I, the only reader. <laughs> so far. Uh, thanks for listening. We highly recommend the film Pigs and Battleships. If you want to watch a subtitled film and watch a good one, that's good. Buta Togungen. There you go. There it is. <laughs> Thank thanks, you, folks. everybody.